Welcome to RPG PodQuest, the podcast that's not only about RPGs, but is an RPG. This is episode 7, and I am your host, Will. And I am your host, Evan. Hey, Evan. How's it going? It's going really well. That also rhymed quite pleasantly, so it's I'm, like I'm feeling it. like this is a good, good introduction. Yeah, maybe we're getting there. <laughs> um, but yes, I'm doing uh, very well. I, I have some really exciting stuff to talk about, and I'm also just really excited about our quests this week. A nice positive episode to chase uh, our previous episode with. Awesome. Yes, I have similar vibes, so I think it's going to be a good one. All um, right. But before we begin, I wanted to note another correction, following up on our correction from the last episode, when you mentioned Secret of Evermore and how it played like Secret of Mana, and I was like, no, I think it's different. Uh, so I was mistaken. It looks a lot like Secret of Mana. I went back and watched some gameplay. It visually looks like it, and the actual gameplay looks very similar. So my bad on that one. <laughs> I think we really do need to get around to playing this game at some point. We do. And I think what I was confusing it with was Illusion of Gaia. Yeah, that's actually... And it's so funny, because I was literally just about to follow... Uh, those comments up by by saying that which i do believe illusion of gaia is sort of similar okay so it's not completely random that that happened yeah i think that there were a number of again i'm not really sure if you want to call them action rpgs because secret of mana has like this cooldown system which does have some positioning elements in it but you've also you've got these wait times in between your actions which i mean mm-hmm. i don't know i guess you know, some uh, RPGs, action RPGs do uh, that in a way. But I, I do think that there was like a string of those in that sort of uh, design vein. And I think Illusion of Gaia goes along with that. But again, uh, maybe that's a correction set we'll have to give next episode yeah. when I actually look at some <laughs> gameplay of that. This will be our reoccurring Secret of Evermore update to kick off each episode. Our, our corrections literally are just about this one game yeah yeah sounds good but speaking of other games what have you been playing this week evan uh so i have been making a little bit more uh progress on some of the games that i've been playing but i don't really want to touch on some stuff that i've already mentioned uh, on the uh, podcast already so instead i'm going to talk about all new things that I tried out this week. And again, I'm trying to dip into some things just because of news that's happening out in the the, the social media space. Always just really curious about new releases. And in fact, two of the games that I'd like to touch on today are very new in, in particular. Um, but I, I guess we can kind of bounce back and forth. I don't want to be talking too much about uh, all of the games that I've played. So uh, Will, what else have you been shipping away at? Um, I've played a lot of different kind of games in the past week. I tried to focus again on getting through some games, getting through my backlog. But I don't know if uh, if that's always successful. So I played East 8 was my focus because I talked a little bit about before how I hadn't found anything that clicked with me. And then that did. Um, I think I talked about that a little last time. Um, and I don't want to go into too much detail about it now for uh, spoiler reasons for later in the episode but i really enjoyed east 8 and i did finish it oh wow um i really enjoyed it a lot i didn't it was my first east game i didn't know what to expect going in but 
pretty early on it hooked me and then I just got caught up in playing so many other games that I just didn't have time but I finally went back and really got into the groove with it and really enjoyed the rest of my time with it so I am a little curious uh do you know how long your save file or how long your playtime was it wasn't too long I think it was between 25 and 30 hours that seems about right I've heard some people say that they've doubled that but from like a very uh, completionist's mindset Mm -hmm. so uh you know in terms of side content uh were you getting really deep into that stuff or were you just kind of uh going where the the adventure uh led you yeah i was just breezing through i was playing on easy difficulty so i don't know if i died maybe once or twice against bosses at certain points um but i pretty much plowed through it i only did the main quests most of the time It's kind of my general approach when I play a game for the first time. And then if I really love it, I'll go back and on the next playthrough, I'll try to do as much as I can, which isn't always everything, but sometimes it is if I can't stop. (laughs) Uh, So I think this is one I will probably revisit and try to do a lot of the side content for another time. Uh, But for this time, I just wanted to get through it and to have fun hacking away at stuff. And like I said before, it kind of felt like hack and slash through a lot of the game but i hit a wall where i had to get deeper into the combat at a certain point when the enemies got bigger and tougher so i and then i gained more appreciation for the combat at that point too very cool and i do think that that's a great way to approach east in particular uh, because there is a whole lot of stuff to do and i think these games can be very briskly paced Um, i would also say that the first games in the series uh, book one and two are there's they they have no fat in them they're very very straightforward and have no side quests or or very minimal side quests so uh that's a a great way to approach this series and i do think that you probably will find more to appreciate uh, as you come back i think you'll really appreciate it if you bump the difficulty up on your second uh playthrough um just because i i think that east at its best is when its combat system is very challenging but that's just a personal preference yeah and i can see like in general i find it fun to play games on the easiest settings to start and then i often will go through them again on a harder difficulty and and really uncover a lot more about the game because there's so many things playing on easy that you don't have to deal with and that's why i like it on a first playthrough i just get a sense of the game and then if i want to get more into it i'll bump it up and then i often learn so much more about the mechanics and and just have to max and maximize builds for characters and that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, I So I, I really like that idea. And it might be something that I actually need to integrate into my own practice. It's, I enjoy it. But the problem with it, I will say, is that it means multiple playthroughs for me a lot of times. Because a lot of times, yeah, I just zip through my first playthrough. And then I'm like, oh, I want to play it again. And then... I'll either play it again soon after or down the road I'll play it again and I won't have as much time to play new games. The only, well, I I, I guess I can understand that and the sort of saving grace, I think, in particular with East games, um, but also a lot of RPGs is that they have dialogue fast-forward buttons. Yes. (laughs) Which I think, uh, especially with East, 
the the story can be a lot of fun, um, especially on a, on a first playthrough. But then if you're just trying to engage with those gameplay systems, you're going to want to skip through that stuff because it does get a little hokey sometimes. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it and paid attention to a lot of it. Um, but then I started picking and choosing which scenes I thought were important and not worth skipping through later on. And it gets to the point where like skipping through scenes, my pet peeve is when you're skipping through them because you want to just get to the gameplay but you have to keep mashing the button because you'll skip through a cutscene and then there'll be another one right after it and then there'll be some dialogue and then there'll be another cutscene and then there'll be some more dialogue and i i found those happening more and more frequently toward the end of the game Hmm. i i can understand that um again i would say that some of and that's why sometimes engaging in the side content can be a boon for certain rpgs because Hopefully, a lot of that side content is actual gameplay and not a whole lot yes. of story. But with one of the other games that you're going to be talking about, uh, I don't find that to be the case. But we can maybe cross that bridge when we get there. Yeah. Um, so the two games that I've been playing uh, are, are new releases. And one of them is not an RPG um, or at least isn't one in the the way that I would uh, traditionally describe an, an RPG or, or maybe even the sort of criteria that we've put forward on this show. And the other one is actually a really uh, fascinating case. So I, I would be curious, Will, which one you'd like to hear about first, the non-RPG or the one that is a little up in the air? Ooh, interesting. Um... I played some non-RPGs too, so maybe we save those for the end and just have a quick segment on non-RPGs at the end of what we're playing, and so we dive into the RPG next. Sure, that sounds good. And so this next game is one that there's been a whole lot of uh, sort of hype on at least a lot of the the social media channels that I've been following uh, about, and the lead-up, honestly, to this game, I was really on the fence because... I'll be honest, this game looked a lot like, quote, it's just Zelda, unquote. And (laughs) I mean, don't get me wrong, I do like Zelda, and I like the classic Zelda formula very much. But sometimes I think that people lean on a lot of the gameplay traditions of Zelda, um, and then also have like a quirky art style, and they kind of just leave it at that. Um, So that might give you a hint at what this game is. But uh, for those who haven't gotten it yet, I am going to be talking about Eastward. So Eastward is a very original title. Uh, it's being published by Chucklefish, and I'm, I actually am blanking on who the developer is right now. I'll probably come at you uh, with next episode's corrections with that. Uh, but Eastward is a very quirky sort of story about these two individuals who live in a sort of subterranean uh, civilization and learn that there is a world beyond this and they are trying to get to the East, uh, hence the title. Um, And they're constantly taking a train or a tram trolley system to try to get closer to that goal. Um, But they both have sorts of mysterious pasts, and they're exploring a a very diverse and and colorful world. Uh, And and that is a a great deal of the charm. 
Um, however, from what I've played of Eastward so far, I still am getting those It's Just Zelda vibes. And while, again, in, in the scope of us talking about what is and isn't an RPG, we've come to settle on the fact that uh, we don't find uh, Zelda to be very RPG-esque in design. But there is a caveat to this discussion, and it's really what uh, piqued my interest about this game and really does have me very invested right now, uh, which is that when the game starts, you get this very sort of classic RPG uh, introduction. And the, the, the narration, which is text on the screen, is in this also uh, classic like sort of RPG fontage uh, as well. And a, a part of me is reading this, and it's all about a hero going to save a princess and a demon king. And I'm like, wait a minute, this doesn't sound like the plot hmm. that I had heard about for Eastward in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> and then I found out that this is actually the video game that one of the two protagonists likes to play uh, in mm. the in the game itself or, or in the game's universe and they have a bunch of uh, friends who also really like this game and it's also a, t- a television show so they can watch episodes of it uh, and and they kind of give you hints at um, oh, well, the things that are happening in the television show uh, happen after you beat the final boss of the video game. Um, so it's in the post-game or the new game plus of this uh, game that they play. And a part of me is like, as as I'm hearing all these little kids say these things, I'm like, okay, this is a very like Dragon Quest-esque RPG that they're kind of talking about and hyping up. But there's no way they're actually going to let me play this, right? (laughs) And lo and behold, one of the first things that you do as a a quest in Eastward is you get a memory card for one of your protagonists, which you can plug into arcade uh, sorts of cabinets so that you can take your progress in this actual RPG with you from town to town. So (laughs) within Eastward's normal Zelda-esque gameplay, uh, there is also an RPG minigame, which is really, really cool. And even just playing a little bit of this, uh, it has a lot of Shadows of Adam uh, sorts of vibes in that you have AP that you can generate in combat. but it is very much in terms of presentation. I mean, this is, I don't even want to say it's an NES style uh, RPG because there there is no color palette to this. It's more like the Game Boy uh, ports of Dragon Quest, uh, which were called Dragon Warrior when they were first released in North America. Mm-hmm. So it's, this very simplistic uh, looking RPG, but it's definitely got that like Dragon Quest vibe to it. And not only that, the the character portraits are very, very similar to Dragon Quest as well, um, to the point where it's very clear that this is an homage to that. But I do think that the quality of the writing within this RPG minigame is definitely more self-aware and also... um, more loving uh, as an homage to Dragon Quest than it is a 
sort of play on modern Dragon Quest, which, as we've talked about, I think has a whole lot of punnage in it in the worst mm-hmm. ways. So the the dialogue in, in this game um, instead is a, a little bit more tongue-in-cheek and wink-wink, nudge-nudge than it is uh, bashing you over the head with uh, bad puns and bad accents. So I found that really fascinating, and I'm really, really curious. I think, like, if I wanted to at this point in the game, which I'm, I'm not very far into Eastward at all, but I do think I could probably just play the entirety of this RPG minigame rather than actually progressing the main quest if I wanted Whoa. to. That's <laughs> which, cool. Yeah, is really surprising. And I do know that Eastward, its name had been out there for a while and uh, it had been generating a lot of interest, um, but it also had been maybe not delayed, but it had spent a lot of time in the oven um, cooking and the end product i mean the game's art style itself is very very charming uh very earthbound-esque in some ways um or or maybe a little bit more mother three-ish um but it, it definitely does have just this uh very lovingly crafted aesthetic that's that's delightful and i don't want to ignore that element of the game uh, either because i do think that while the beginning does start off as very much it's just Zelda, I, I think there's going to be some nuance in how you use the two protagonists and uh, the sorts of scenarios that are unfolding. But I did just want to give it a shout out for having this surprisingly deep. And when I say when I say it's surprisingly deep, I mean <laughs> you're leveling up these these. Uh, Dragon Quest characters in this game and you're you're saving your progress to this memory card so that you can play it in other towns. Uh, it's That's cool. It's, it's like really substantial. Yeah, it, it's, it's very neat. And so I was really kind of blown away by that and I feel kind of bad for my girlfriend because part of the reason that I even bought Eastward was because the the game itself looks so pretty and she found that to be uh, very appealing but uh, I might be spending a whole lot of time just playing this basic ass RPG mode <laughs> in it that sounds fun yeah um, so what else have you been playing that is an RPG um, what else I've been playing that is an RPG is Trails of Cold Steel I tried to get back into a little bit I started it a long time ago and didn't get anywhere but I completed the first chapter so I made some progress and this is and... Trails of Cold Steel 1 right? yes correct uh, which I'm playing through Steam got it and uh, I've been playing so many like Vita games lately I think like I think even East 8 Yes, started there. East Eight Trials was of Cold Steel, mm-hmm. Digimon. Yeah, yeah, um, wow. Like, and I'm getting a little not sick of it, but I'm like, I want to branch out a little bit. Um, so I like it was gripping me at first, Trails of Cold Steel, but it's feeling more generic the further I get into it. So I'm feeling less engaged and less incentivized to keep playing it so i don't know how much further i'll go it has like a traditional turn-based battle system with some cool intricacies of like movement around the battlefield which is kind of cool um but it does end up feeling kind of samey and you have arts and crafts which you can use 
uh, which are like your special abilities, which are kind of cool, and a system kind of like materia from Final Fantasy VII that you slot these like energy crystals into your, I forget what the device is called, but it lets you use different abilities. So there's a lot of depth to it, but there's not really a lot intriguing or different that really makes me want to keep playing when there's so many other games on the horizon. So I don't know if I'll get much further. So I, I find it pretty fascinating that you have played two Nihon Falcom games uh, during yeah. this week, actually. And, you know, in a lot of ways, uh, what, what Nihon Falcom has done with their more popular uh, brands is that they've tried to create RPGs that fill specific niches. Uh, and so I do know with another game of theirs, which is called Tokyo Xanadu, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with, uh, Will, they were trying to... I've heard to, of it, but uh, don't know much about it. Yeah, sorry. Uh, they were trying to kind of appeal to a, a more a Persona-esque style of not necessarily gameplay, but uh, of setting. Uh, so it does mm. take place in Tokyo, um, and it is about school kids uh sort of dungeon crawling um but east itself is like a very action oriented uh rpg series and then you have the trail series which is in my opinion um you know it's not traditional turn-based uh but the the vibe that i get with trails is that it's supposed to be more geared towards narrative focused or 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 narrative enthusiasts of mm -hmm. rpgs and i will say that my point of entry uh, to the trail series was trails of cold steel 3 which is probably the worst place that i could have possibly <laughs> ever tried to start um because obviously that i i received that uh, as a review copy um on switch but the the one uh, weird aspect of that game is because the previous two games hadn't been localized for Switch yet, they included these like plot summaries of mm -hmm. Trails of Cold Steel one and two, um, and also some other like side stories as well, and so like I legitimately sat through maybe ninety minutes of reading the plots of the previous two Trails games before getting started with uh, Trails of Cold Steel 3. And by that point, I was already sick of the narrative that they were trying to present to me. And yeah, it's a lot of reading. It is a lot of reading, but the unfortunate thing is the amount of reading doesn't stop there. I mean, this is such a dialogue-heavy game series and they're always trying to put the sort of lore and setting details at the forefront of like what every every character is talking about um, in addition to characters themselves having the opportunity to speak because there are so many characters in this yes. series too yes. um, and especially with Cold Steel as I was reviewing it you have new characters who are being introduced and then they're also like sometimes allowing you to bring characters from previous games into your party to utilize and a part of me was like why would i want to use these 
old characters when I'm trying to invest and grow these party members that I started the game with. It mm-hmm. was really, really confusing and, and frustrating. Um, and ultimately, yes, I do think that Cold Steel 3 was a bad place for me to start, but I'm also just not really sure if this is my kind of RPG series uh, in, in general. Um, and so, you know, I hear a lot of the things that you're talking about, the mechanical uh, aspects, which I I did think, uh, I agree that there's there's a depth there, but a lot of that depth is, it, it's a heavy grind investment, and the kind of grind that they want you to do in these games is not appealing to me um, mm-hmm. in any way. Yeah, it feels kind of tedious. Like you have to, I, I guess, like I haven't gotten that deep into it, but you have to grind for these i forget what they're called like this energy source that makes magic essentially and i think you are supposed to be grinding for that and that's my least favorite kind of grinding and my least favorite kind of modification system or upgrade system in an rpg is anything that has to do with collecting things i hate it like i like collecting things but i don't like having to collect things to get stronger or like crafting based systems and that kind of thing yeah and it's not only that too uh, there's a lot of uh, sort of rerunning areas um, mm-hmm. because you're, you're I mean especially with the Cold Seal games you're very limited to the kinds of areas that you can explore yeah. so you really d- need to go back to these areas and, and you don't feel a sense of well I'm exploring into new areas and and you know, I, I understand that in terms of the narrative structure of these Cold Steel games, it makes sense for you to be in certain places, but it doesn't make sense to me to like keep going back to the same place and killing enemies over and over because I feel like that would have some sort of negative impact on the environment, if you get what I'm saying. Right, yeah. So, you know, I, I mean, my, my real question to you, although I think I kind of already know the answer, would be, between East and uh, the the Trail series, uh, which one is is appealing to you more? Uh, between the two games, I played definitely East, and uh, I'm a little I... curious too about the next uh, Trails game because I know that it is going to have mm-hmm. a more action oriented combat system. It's going to be less uh, turn based, uh, although kind of in the vein of the Final Fantasy VII remake you can switch to a turn-based mode. So, oh, interesting. The best of both worlds. Yeah, well, that's the hope. You know, I, I, ho- yeah. I hope that they've... Or the worst of <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I hope that they've at least just made a good uh, sort of action-y system instead. Although it does seem yeah. to be... The, the way that I would describe what I've seen of the, the next Trails uh, battle system is it's more grounded in the vein that Cold Steel combat is... Um, which is different from East in that like East has you sort of like bouncing around uh-huh. and is is very kinetic in a way. Yeah. So uh, I'm I'm sorry to hear that uh, that Trails isn't gripping you um, because that means we have no fans of that series on this <laughs> podcast. I mean, I liked a lot of things about it, and I find it intriguing, and I love the idea of this continuous story across games that's really episodic. And I think a lot of it is I'm just intimidated because I know like if it's a struggle to get through the first game, I'm never going to make it through the whole series. But I do enjoy a lot of things about it. And I, th- while I think I'm going to shelve it for now, it's going to be in the back of my mind to pick up again if I'm in the mood for that, which is weird because typically 
turn-based combat is way more my cup of tea than action combat. So it's very interesting that I kind of flopped on those two. Yeah, and again, I, I do think that there are some things going on with uh, Trails Combat that are novel and that are, are worth engaging in. Um, but uh, again, I also think that Trails as a series has built on its combat foundation so much that even coming into the first Cold Steel, you're dealing with a lot of ideas mm. that have been previously established in other games, and so it That's can be daunting. Yeah. yeah, at least I, I kind of felt that way coming in with uh, Cold Steel Three. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's a well-established franchise slash series slash whatever it is. Yes. it's a long-standing series and i i do know that some people will swear by liking certain arcs of the series um which is why a part of me says okay well maybe this next trails uh game which is going to take place i don't know if it takes place after four but i know it's it's a different uh, protagonists and a, and a different series of events than uh, the Cold Steel sort of arc. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I am thinking to myself, maybe that'll be a better entry point just because I think the third installment of any uh, arc is a bad place to start. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't I think really especially t- this series more than any other, it seems like is more like it punishes you for jumping in late. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's a good way to put it. It, it does it it does feel punishing a bit ouch um should we talk about some non-rpgs sure yeah and uh so this title that i'm going to talk about next is it you know one could argue that it's got some rpg-ish flavor but i do think that the narrative is very linear which you know some jrpgs can be uh linear but this isn't a japanese rpg it really does feel more like a adventure game uh in a lot of ways and i think that also has to do with the way the customization uh, options operate but enough beating around the bush. The next game I'm talking about is Lost in Random. So, Will, have you heard about this game, or do you have any interest in playing it? Yeah, I have heard about it, and I'm very curious to hear your initial impressions. So, this is a game developed by Zoink Games, who are more traditionally known for making like classic adventure games can you think of of maybe any examples that would that would uh, apply here will do you know what uh, genre i'm talking about i'm not quite sure like i did play some lucas arts games back in the day um like in visually in terms of the visual style i'm thinking like escape from monkey island is that the kind of thing you're thinking of yes yeah that is oh, okay. uh, that's a great example and I, I i didn't want to say that one in particular although it was on the tip of my tongue just because i'm actually not even sure of the true title uh, of that series me neither I, was, I know monkey island and i think maybe escape is the right word to pair with it but i'm not sure yeah no i, I think you're right yeah so some other examples, King's Quest might also be uh, a, a good example here. And it's actually uh, a correction mid-episode. It's the secret of Monkey Island uh, series. Oh, okay. um, some people also consider Myst to be uh, an adventure uh, game. And I guess the, the more contemporary uh, version of this 
um, that a lot of people would refer to are a lot of Telltale Games efforts, mm. right? Uh, the Walking Dead series, you know, they've they've done uh, a little bit with the Minecraft property as well as Batman. Um, so that's what Zoink Games is known for. <laughs> and that's just getting the, the developer's previous work out of the way. Although they have partnered with EA um, recently to... Uh, get uh, a little bit of financial backing and just publishing help in making some more unique uh, titles. So in particular, uh, you do have their last game was actually, I want to say the game that they made right before this was called Flipping Death, which was very much a traditional adventure game. But the game that they made before Flipping Death was Fee, which are, are you familiar with that game, Will? I've heard of it just in actually looking up Lost and Random, but I don't really know anything about it. Yeah, so Fee was a sort of 3D Metroidvania um, where you were playing as this little critter uh, who was kind of exploring a forest and gaining these skills and singing with animals. Um, it was really cute, um, uh, you know, pretty short uh, as a, a lot of Metroidvanias tend to be. Um, but it was definitely known for having like a very uh, visually captivating sort of art style uh, and such. And Lost in Random in particular has a more traditional Zoink Games art style. And so the way that I would often describe Zoink's uh, output is it's a little Tim Burton-ish in style. Um, and Lost in Random really looks like one of Tim Burton's uh, sort of stop-motion animation efforts. Uh, it's got these very spindly sort of characters. Um, they're not all as pale <laughs> as, uh, as some of his characters are, as in uh, Corpse Bride, but they, they do have this, uh, this charm to them, this sort of dark fairy tale uh, charm. And Lost in Random is all about the world of Random, which is divided into sort of six precincts districts uh, I, i'll say which well they match with the you know pips or the sides on a dice right so it it, it definitely does come back to this whole uh, tabletop mindset um, and the story is all about this protagonist known as even who is trying to save her sister whose name is odd and she uh, conscripts the help of this walking and talking dice known as Dicey. The combat revolves pretty heavily around you sort of collecting mana um, from your enemies. You have to like shoot it off of their bodies uh, with a slingshot. And then once you've collected it, uh, you can roll Dicey. And when you roll him, uh, he gives you another form of mana. So it's, um, it's a complex system. And I, sh I should say... Uh, I've, I've obfuscated it a little bit. The mana that you pick off of enemies when you're fighting them is actually for uh, the draws from your deck. So as you shoot off more of this energy, uh, you fill up the card slots that can be in your hand. And when you max out that hand, you can roll dicey to then get mana to play those cards. I know it sounds a little complicated, but it's a lot more straightforward in practice. And whatever uh, Dicey lands on in terms of his role is how much mana you can spend on the cards that are in your hand. And I should also say that 
Uh, you don't have to fill up your hand in order to roll dicey. Uh, if you see that you have a card in your hand that you want to pull out immediately, uh, you can roll him at any time. But once you kind of leave this uh, playing card dimension, which they actually called the dice mention, and you start like actually fighting enemies again, your, your hand gets wiped away. So you do need to generate at least some of this uh, energy uh, off of enemies in order to make sure that you actually have cards to play. So it's, uh, the, the way that I'd put this is it's like a 3D version uh, in some ways of the Mega Man Battle Network series, which hopefully uh, sorts, sort of clears things up. So my question now, Will, would be, have you ever played any of those games? Nope, doesn't clear anything up for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, darn. Uh, the difference, of course, there is that in the Battle Network games, you are playing as Mega Man and you're sort of dodging uh, attacks that are coming at you. And while you're dodging, you're filling up this gauge that, and it's just a time-based gauge uh, that sort of resets your hand and you can pick new cards from. But with uh, Lost in Random, you are like actively sort of fighting against your enemies as you pick off this energy to to draw new cards. Um, and the reason that I wouldn't really call it an RPG is that the deck building, at least early on, is really limited. Um, the amount of money that you can get to buy cards, on one hand, it seems like it's going to be a lot because even can shoot these pots uh, off of these shelves with her slingshot and Dicey can crawl into these holes to find money. And you might think like, oh, wow, I have a lot of money, but cards are really, really expensive. And your deck has to be 15 cards large. So you have to sometimes put in cards and you have to buy cards too that might not fit with an overarching strategy. But also it doesn't really feel like you are drawing from a deck that is always in order. Like there'll be some times where you are uh, fighting against enemies and it just feels like you haven't drawn one card that's in your deck for like ages. And that does seem kind of surprising because you can fill up your hand like relatively quickly. I'd say the downtime in, in between rolling uh, dice to play your cards is maybe like 90 seconds at the most of, of sort of gaining energy. So I don't really feel like it's giving me the freedom to play this game the way that I want to. Um, and maybe my thoughts will change, but I also do think that Zoink has been pretty uh, forward about saying that this is an action-adventure game, and that it really is what it sounds like. Okay. It, it does have that tabletop bent to it, which I, I, I love, and I think I'll find very appealing, but it doesn't have the sort of, like, character progression... Um, sorts of options that I think are inherently appealing uh, in regards to RPGs. Gotcha. That sounds like a really cool one, and I'm curious to hear more as you keep playing, and I'm going to look up some gameplay and stuff and maybe check it out, because it sounds really cool. Yeah, I think one of the best things that uh, Zoink could have possibly done is that they kind of released a trailer that was just explaining the battle system, 
um, which mm-hmm. is really what got me uh, very invested or really piqued my curiosity. But I, I would also say that there is, there can be a lot of downtime in between battles too. It's it's not this sort of game where you, if you want, you can go off and like fight a quote unquote random encounter. Um, the battles are 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 set pieces themselves, so you complete them and then you don't play them again and i think that also that hurts the sort of uh, potential for character customization and deck customization gotcha so it feels kind of on rails in that sense it feels more linear um Mm -hmm. and again you know some people might argue well you know japanese rpgs are are linear as well but gosh it's hard to say this too because one of my favorite RPGs of all time, which we'll talk about at some point, uh, is The Last Story. And that's a very linear RPG in that when you play a chapter, you go from sort of battlefield to battlefield and you fight those enemies and you don't come back to it. But there are also mm-hmm. opportunities in The Last Story where you can sort of trigger enemy encounters or you can replay chapters so that you can okay. grind a little bit more yeah i think we, that's important like a game can be linear and still feel like there are options to keep expanding your characters and and doing more yes yeah yeah i i agree very much and the i, I the major difference here is that once you finished a, a combat skirmish in lost and random you're not going to get to another one until you progress the narrative gotcha it's still enjoyable though um and it does have a lot of zoinks uh trademark humor um a a lot of their trademark art style and i would say some of those things are good and some of them are bad uh I, i do think again the art style is very appealing but there's a lot of dialogue in this game and Listen, I don't want anyone to think that I'm not a fan of dialogue, but the writing from this dev team in particular can wear on you a little bit as Mm. time goes on. Gotcha. So what is your non-RPG that you'd like to talk about? Yeah, I've been playing some non-RPGs too, and uh, this really came about because I, I got Xbox Game Pass a couple weeks ago because Evan you had mentioned the game Y2K which I had come across when I was looking for which one one of my earlier quests I think it was a shorter RPG and I found I was looking to see if Cosmic Star Heroine was on Game Pass and I searched I think I just searched that title and Y2K popped up so it was kind of on my radar and you mentioned it and I signed up for Game Pass so I could try it and then it turns out it's PC only, which is a separate subscription, so I could not play it. So I played other things. Okay. Um, I ended up playing a little bit of Skatebird, which I bounced off of very fast because the controls were exactly the same as Tony Hawk, but they were clunky. Mm. So it was not very fun. I'm very picky about skateboarding games myself. <laughs> um, so I was not a fan, but I think it's kind of arcadey, and if you like that kind of arcadey action game, you might like it. Um, and part of one of my biggest dreams if I could like design a game it would be like a straight up skateboarding RPG I don't know what that means but I think that would be super fun Mm, probably missed the window in like the early 2000s that was probably the time to do it but oh I don't know I mean I think (laughs) 
the fact that uh, the Tony Hawk uh, 1 and 2 remasters did as well as they did and that everyone was so excited uh, for it, I think you th- there is definitely a nostalgic market for that. This is true. Um, but I, I would be I would sailed. be really curious to see how you would turn uh, that extreme sport into an RPG. Yeah, I think it would have to be like a traditional RPG structure in terms of like narrative and traveling around and quest doing quests and that kind of thing. But the actual gameplay would be skateboarding and like doing tricks rather than combat, and you'd gain experience from doing tricks well or doing specific lines or something. Hmm. but uh, I'll have to work on that pitch. (laughs) I mean, a lot of what you just said reminds me very much of Tony Hawk's Underground, which is a very, like, linear sort of story, but has, like, a... a, Well, it it has a narrative, um, which, you know, in that that linear RPG sense uh, makes sense. Mm -hmm. And you also have quests that you can complete, too, in that game. And you get stat points to... And you get stat points. Level up your abilities in different ways. Maybe... Is is uh, Tony Hawk Underground an RPG? (laughs) Talking point for the future. (laughs) Yes, I want that quest. Awesome. Uh, so skateboard you bounce uh, or skatebird i, sh- I, I yeah. should say you bounced off of what else yeah um and then i was also playing tell me why which i started a while back um oh and i forgot to mention the reason why i got more into playing games on xbox and game pass which is not new for me but something i haven't done since i got my switch really um is because i had for some reason i thought it'd be fun to try out this xbox remote play and see how it worked because i like just like messing around with different technology and it worked really well on my phone so i realized i can just pair a xbox controller to my phone and boot up my xbox remotely it doesn't actually turn on the console itself but i'm just playing like i'm on the console i go through the menus can boot up any game i want so i just hopped in and out of different games to test them and i think i'll be playing more game pass games and have access to more indie games and all kinds of different things going forward which i find really exciting in a kind of mobile platform like switch which has you know being tied to a specific room or seat in my house to play xbox games has been a real turnoff in the past several years but now i can play it anywhere so i'm really excited to have more options so I, anyway, I ended up playing more of Tell Me Why, um, which is a very story-based game from Don't Nod, who made the Life is Strange games. And I played Life is Strange, the first one, and really liked it. Uh, I think that was last winter, so I'm kind of newer to those games as well. But I was curious to try this one because it was more like one of the newer games from them, and which isn't the newest one anymore. One of the newer ones, it was on Game Pass. Let's try it. So I played a bit of that, and it was really interesting and cool to play something different, and it worked seamlessly from my phone, which was really cool. Um, But another reason why I wanted to bring it up is because it brings up the debate again, because I don't see any way that you could possibly argue it's an RPG, but I was looking up these, like, Don't Nod's games, which are all, like, very story-based and they were all tagged as RPGs on Steam, I think it was, where I was looking. I was like, I don't know about this. I don't really see any case for this being an RPG other than 
there's a story and you make choices Um, so yeah i i definitely understand this and again as someone who worked on a switch centric website for three years and i saw a lot of review codes come in, come in and out, and I would look at game listings on the eShop to kind of get a feel for what these games were all about. Um, and I would see on the eShop a lot of these games tagged as RPGs, and mm-hmm. I didn't get it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I think you know you're you're kind of coming back to that that similar conclusion here, which is a publisher or a developer might want to market their game in that yes. way you know they they might be trying to appeal to a very specific kind of group yes um, but also they might be labeling them as such to kind of make sure that it's picked up by as many searches as possible yep. that's what i the conclusion i came to as well as i thought about it i was like well there probably wasn't really an accurate tag and they wanted to pick something so they'd get more hits and they picked that one because it was the closest they could get or it was the closest like fan base they could find yeah and you know i would still like i would actually consider life is strange um, or a game that is of its ilk (laughs) um i I guess Uh, another game that that maybe it would remind me of a little bit is what remains of edith finch Mm -hmm. which are are these sorts of they're just narrative focused um, yes. and, and sometimes maybe they possess some of those like classic adventure game elements to them. So I would label them as that, like a, a narrative-driven game mm-hmm. or a, a you know a traditional adventure game. But again, you you look back at the the title of adventure game, right? And that that doesn't really seem all that applicable or maybe it's a little bit too broad right because just as one could say oh well you're playing a role in this game therefore it's a role-playing game you're going on an adventure in this game and therefore it's an adventure uh, which doesn't really help it it doesn't help us get granular in terms of how we define these games which is i think a shame and maybe is why we would love to have a, a better sort of title for this genre because it does end up perpetuating some of these discussions and arguments about oh well it is technically an rpg but what does that mean right but you liked tell me why um i'm having another negative episode evan <laughs> oh i thought it was interesting it looks really great it's cool um it focuses on the story of a trans man which is really cool and interesting and a fresh perspective um so that's kind of what gripped me initially was i thought that was a really interesting and a cool story that they were sharing but it isn't really going anywhere i finished the first of three chapters and it just kind of keeps repeating this one kind of traumatic event from these two siblings past involving their mother and it just keeps flashing back to the same thing i know we have to learn more about it and i'm just not not invested anymore so i'm just dropping off a lot of things maybe it's me but i think it's just a smaller scope than life is strange the more i think about it because that i want to say was like five chapters so there was time to really build a complex story with a lot of different characters and this one really focuses on this brother and sister and this one singular event in in their past so they're kind of like 
digging through memories and they have the power to look back in time and see or to share memories i think like they, they'll see the same memory at the same time so there's something really cool narratively going on there but it doesn't feel like it's taking me anywhere really so i i think it's another one i'll probably shelve and keep in the back of my mind to pick up again later when i feel like it hmm. but not gripping me after that first chapter well i'm sorry to hear that uh i i do think you know again i've been a pretty uh i've been pretty adamant in stating that i don't feel that very many video game narratives are all that great mm-hmm. and i think that it's sometimes tough to fit what we consider to be an appealing narrative into a video game structure. Yep. Uh, and sometimes with some genres, it's easier than others. Um, but, but I also think that striking the right balance between gameplay and narrative is, is hugely difficult. It's very uh, tough. And, yeah. and you know, uh, not all game developers just uh, despite their desire to want to tell a compelling story are great storytellers. And I'm not saying that I could do any better, uh, but uh, I, I do think that it's something that the medium as a whole needs to take more seriously um, or perhaps look at more intently so that they can get better uh, at this. But I think, again, tell me why is an older game from these developers uh, who have since gone on to make Life is Strange, which, as you mentioned, does have some better pacing. Yeah, and I think, and initially I sought out Life is Strange because I was on a quest previous to RPG PodQuest to find um, a really good, strong narrative in games and see what games were really capable of when story came first. And the first Life is Strange game, I loved it. I was, the story was really good. I don't know if the pacing was perfect, but it hooked me and it had me to keep playing. The only other game I can think of where I really was into the story and progressing because I had to see that next beat was the first Xenoblade Chronicles. That one, like after I got maybe halfway through or so, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to see what happens next. I have to get through this next chapter. And it was very much that kind of experience. Yeah, and uh, I completely understand that. And I also think that certain kinds of storytelling mm-hmm. or certain genres uh, of, of stories uh, also function better in, in certain kinds of games. Yeah. So it's, uh, it, it is great to see like even how some individuals can tell a compelling story about characters or concepts in within a platformer, I think is, is super neat. Um, or an RPG, or uh, a narrative-centric uh, game. And again, to go back to uh, a game that we talked about on this episode, uh, I think What Remains of Edith Finch is maybe one of the best blends of gameplay and storytelling that I've ever witnessed. So uh, I think it's it's worthy of being added to that conversation, if it's something that you're curious about. For sure. I think that one is a really good example. And I played through that one around the same time as life is strange so it was part of that quest i guess and there were a couple parts that just blew my mind in terms of gameplay mixed with storytelling that i thought were so cool yeah and it's it's definitely something that i think we can agree like we uh, it's not worth spoiling right yeah i know i want to say people who have an example but it's like towards the end of the game the my favorite one yeah 
So I, I definitely know where you're coming from. And uh, if any of our listeners have ever felt that they haven't had that mind-blowing experience just yet, uh, that's, that's a, a really good example of that. Um, For sure. But if we are all done uh, with our sort of new game segment, we're going to move right into our questing segment, and that is going to start with you, Will. So would you just very quickly remind uh, everybody at home what your quest was? Yes, my quest was number 22 on the quest board, an action RPG with good mechanics. So I get to talk about something good and positive that I really enjoyed since I've been dumping on things for the past several minutes. Yay! Yay, that's fun, right? And I'm going to take it right back to where I started talking, East 8, because this is the game that has won me over to action game or action RPGs in general, and it's kind of ruined other action RPGs for me, and maybe turn-based RPGs. Oh, no. <laughs> and it's all I want to do. And I think what it is, I think what it is about the mechanics that draws me in so much is it feels... Like, I forget the word you said earlier, but, like, there's a lot of momentum in the combat. Yeah, I think uh, a um, great word would be kinetic. Kinetic, yes, that's what you said. You you build up that energy, you keep it going, and I think that momentum is really what hooks me and makes it feel just so, like, viscerally fun. And I think a lot of that is because other similar games that I would think, like, I feel like the Tales series is kind of like East's combat in a way that you have these skills and arts that you attack within an action type of combat but there's always this hiccup of entering a battle and entering the second screen and that slows it down and I find myself getting so I don't know that bored is the right word but it just interrupts the flow so much and in East 8 I just kept going like you said yeah it's that kinetic energy and nothing's going to slow me down except for maybe a cutscene or two in a row. But <laughs> it's just so fun. And it feels like a blend of a lot of things that I love. Like I talked about earlier, like these kind of top-down isometric hack and slash RPGs that I enjoyed in the past. Um, and it feels very arcadey in a way, just because things are big and flashy and kind of button mashy because there are so many enemies. Not like a not like Dynasty Warriors or something like that where there's just like tons of enemies on screen, but like the one after another. And sometimes they do kind of swarm you and you're just slashing through them. But I think that, yeah, that fast pace and no interruptions is the biggest key to me that hooks me. And then on top of that, like I said, I started on easy and it felt like just a hack and slash, but with a better, like I feel like a lot of hack and slash games that I enjoy um are that top-down view but this is like a fully like third person like you're right there with the character which i prefer and connect more to so it kind of combines those two things and then i got to a point where there were more kind of like mini boss type enemies and the hack and slash just was not cutting it like the enemies were not going down mm -hmm. and i'd i could take one down but then i'd have to like wait and the characters would heal and I had to keep doing that. So I was like, I think this some I'm doing something wrong. So I paused, zoomed out, and tried to get a grasp of the combat. And that's when I really understood the combat more and took advantage of there's like, I forget what it's called, 
flash flash guard and flash dodge or something like that yeah where you hit a button to dodge or block when an enemy's attacking and if you do it at the right moment they kind of slow down for a minute and you enter this like bullet time where you can get in more hits build up your skills um and then the the skills themselves are fun because you're it feels like there's always something to do uh, there's ones that cost more points so you can usually use the lighter ones and then as you build them up you can use like a super attack and it and that also comes off feeling kind of arcadey and just pure fun it reminds me a bit of some other games like um kind of reminds me of xenoblade chronicles in some ways but more actiony of course yeah and i i mean i would agree that i think uh xenoblade 2 mm-hmm. that's what i'm thinking of is the slower paced sort of like build up to doing ultimates and, and yes you know, fashion of, of gameplay. But to me, and I, I know I've, I've mentioned it, uh, you know, even prior on this podcast, but East is the most fun to me when the stakes are incredibly high. And so, like, I love playing these games on hard mode because if you don't time those flash guards and those flash dodges uh, correctly, you're eating maybe half of your HP is, is getting blown away. Um, and that's exciting and terrifying. And so you have to be performing at a high level. Both of those skills in particular, I, I think, I don't want to say they're game breaking, um, but also because of the damage output of enemies and also because of their hp pool which i think comes back to you know the the sort of uh, idea of reaching the limit of just hack and slash mm-hmm. right you you do have to utilize those uh, arts that you have equipped and you do have to utilize those skills in order to take them down in a way that's going to be efficient for the resources that you have because there is also this other great system uh, in east which is these the cooked meals right which you can eat during battle but they have a cooldown timer and so you're almost like okay i have to make use of this time or i need to be really smart about this time while these meals are cooling down so that i can eat more in the future and or or still be alive when i actually have the opportunity to do that um, which I think is a lot of fun. But yeah, I mean, a lot of the things that you're talking about with uh, with East 8, and you know, I'll also say uh, 7, 8, and 9 are, are all in this style of, of combat, um, which also has to do with the sort of kinetic nature of switching characters too, right? Which yes. is, it's yes. so fast, <laughs> so fast. And uh, and the the resources that you have at, you know, at your disposal in uh, at a given moment in combat are really, really rewarding and uh, and thrilling. And I think that that comes back to, uh, you know, the character of, of Adol, uh, Christian, right? Which is, they really don't get into his character all that much. He's a silent protagonist as they come, but they just say like, well, he's a dude who loves adventure. And there's nothing more thrilling and adventurous than when East is firing on all cylinders, in my opinion. Very true. So I'm really glad that uh, that you're enjoying uh, East 
uh, 8. And I know that I've previously uh, talked about East 9, which mm-hmm. is in many ways a very different sort of game because the setting is, I don't want to say a little bit more constrained, but it is more rooted in civilization. So you're exploring mm-hmm. a city. But one of the hugely appealing elements, um, and you, you talked about freedom of kind of entering into combat and engaging with yeah. enemies. The freedom that's offered in East 9 is that not only are you just kind of encountering enemies all over the place, uh, and there, there's a very smooth transi- transition there, but then there's also the freedom of moving around the environments, and you can, you can like claw shot up to roof ledges you can glide across huge distances you can run up walls too it's just it's an even more free version of uh, in terms of movement than what you get even in east 8 which i think is really exciting i love it and the game got even more fun for me once i got the double jump ability in east 8 so i'm excited to play 9 at some point and get even more mobility freedom yeah yeah uh i'm i'm really looking forward to your thoughts when you do uh finally move on to east nine but i'm glad that you are uh enjoying uh this series it's one that i love very much and i think that there's still hope for other action rpgs yet i think there are still some appealing elements um in in other games but i i don't think that there's much else that that matches the kinetic energy of East. And so if that's appealing to you, uh, I think it might be a quest for both of us to find more games in that vein. Yeah, there have to be. And that was like my first impression when I played this as my first East game was like, this is like really standard, exactly what I expect from an action RPG. But I couldn't think of another one that did the same thing. Like this was exactly what I wanted it to do. Right, Uh, yeah. Like it doesn't (laughs) feel like it's super i don't know it does a lot of cool things and i don't want to bash it at all but like it doesn't feel super innovative or different it feels like it's doing exactly what should be done with that tool set yes i i agree just really intuitive of what you want out of an action rpg when i when i think of like quintessential series right um and we talked about dragon quest previously but to me that is that's doing the basics of turn-based uh sort of combat yeah. right yeah. and in the same way i do think that east is doing a lot of the basics of what one might expect from action rpgs but mm-hmm. it's I, I agree it's really fascinating when you think of all right well what are other big name action rpgs out there and you think of you know maybe dark souls uh, you think of maybe dynasty warriors uh, and those sorts of games do very very different things in terms of uh, action rpg design um and have different sorts of structure to the point where it's it mm-hmm. is conf- it's bewildering right why why isn't anyone just making a, a solid sort of variation on ease yes somebody somebody needs to go and do that go do that and make put skateboards in it too <laughs> okay <laughs> all right uh that yeah. might be the answer well i think you need to make i think so you need to make east with skateboards yes. <laughs> i think that does it for my quest unless you had anything else you wanted to add no i uh you know i would be curious if you were to ever get this quest again 
because it would challenge you to, yes. to think of a new sort of direction to approach this from. That would be hard, especially post in a post-East world where I've played this. In a world where he's already played East. What's left? Will must find another good mechanic from an action RPG. Well, um... bum, bum, bum. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I guess that's going to uh, transition us into my quest, which was yeah. uh, number 18, an underrated JRPG that I've played. And I'm going to be honest, this quest was rather easy for me to answer just because I feel that I've played a lot of underrated uh, JRPGs in my time. Um, or at least JRPGs that have not had the impact that I personally feel they should have. And that might, again, come back to my very specific tastes, but it also might come back to me just really coming to appreciate this genre more on platforms where, I mean, let's be honest, right? (laughs) On Nintendo platforms, it's usually Nintendo games that perform really well. And so the Mm -hmm. other stuff is going to kind of be there to fill out its library, but might not get the appreciation it deserves. However, you do have some developers out there who are known for making the RPGs, right? You've got Square Enix releasing titles on the Switch and the 3DS and uh, many other Nintendo systems. Um, And you also have Atlas doing their thing as well. And so Atlas, I think, has become a whole lot more popular um, and has now been thoroughly rated. (laughs) Um, It's not underrated anymore, even (laughs) though I think it was at at one point. Um, And so, you know, in this day and age, what's left uh, to be considered underrated? Because, uh, you know, there's probably some individuals who appreciate uh, every sort of RPG. But there's one that I don't hear a whole lot about. And it's one that's on both the 3DS... I would say it was the it was one of the swan songs of the 3DS, and it also appeared on the Switch as well. And uh, I'm going to have to give a shout out to one of my friends uh, named Ralph, because this entire past week he has been starting to play this game, and it wasn't even because like I thought this was going to be the game that I was going to talk about this week um, on this podcast, but he just decided to start playing it and was asking me all sorts of questions about it and it made me realize ah, damn do i love the alliance alive so this is an rpg that was developed by fu ryu a studio called cattle call with assistance from grezzo and grezzo is a developer who is known for a lot of their Nintendo-related uh, work, you know, they worked on uh, the Ocarina of Time 3D remake or port for the Nintendo 3DS. They worked on Ever Oasis, which is, I think, another uh, very underrated JRPG. But in particular, they also uh, had a hand in working on both The Legend of Legacy and The Alliance Alive, which are kind of dream team uh, JRPGs in some ways. Uh, And I should say The Legend of Legacy was was kind of the proof of concept for the Alliance Alive. Uh, And so I am curious, Will, have you heard of either of these games or have you played either of these? I've heard the names in passing, but I have not played them. So, yeah, and I hear this from a lot of people, actually. And I think it's a shame. 
I do think that the art style of these games does them a little bit of a disservice because, especially with The Legend of Legacy, Masao uh, Asano, who is known for, you know, his really impressive work on some other uh, JRPGs, his 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 original character designs were kind of chivified for The Legend of Legacy, um, but The Alliance Alive uh, in particular uses those chibi uh character designs and they can be a little off-putting in some ways they're a little bit cartoony but they're no more cartoony than something like bravely default and when i hear a lot of people talk about their favorite jrpgs on uh on 3ds or their their favorite just more modern uh, rpgs i often hear bravely default and i don't hear the alliance alive and i think that's a damn shame um because as I previously stated, this game to me is one of the swan songs of the 3DS. It did come out in 2018 worldwide um, on the 3DS, and it's HD remaster, which is really just an upscaling in a lot of respects, came out um, on the Switch and uh, PlayStation 4 in 2019. And even though it was released on the Switch, I haven't heard a whole lot of other people talk about it all that much. Uh, so I guess that begs the question, what is the Alliance Alive? Because I've hyped it up a whole lot, right? The Alliance Alive is, to me, the most accessible format of saga that one could possibly find. And Interesting. Yeah. Um, I, saga is, is a much more renowned uh, sort of name. And the the saga DNA comes from a lot of the creative team who worked on this game, who uh, is a, a sort of amalgamation of JRPG veterans from uh, a multitude of other companies. Um, but the 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 sort of uh, individual who who championed the saga style of gameplay uh, contributed a great deal uh, to uh, both of these the legend of legacy and the alliance alive um except saga games are often known for being like very opaque with their game design and how you are supposed to you know grow characters and and progress the plot even um but the alliance alive is a whole lot more straightforward with things so its battle system has you positioning characters on a three by five grid And so these characters uh, can either go into the front rows and they can uh, essentially draw enemy aggro because they're closer to them. But that also means that they can deal higher damage the closer they are to enemies. And then you have people who are placed in the back row whose support skills or range skills might be a little bit stronger um, and they're also less likely to be hit by their enemies. But in addition to that, you can also have characters take different stances. And so uh, a character who is in the defense stance in the front row is going to obviously take less damage, um, which is different from an individual who's in the front row in the attack stance, right? Um, And then you also have a support stance, which can boost the power of your support skills. Um, But that's not all that they do. So the defense stance 
slows the character uh, who is in that stance, while the attack stance uh, is a little bit faster than the defense stance. And then you also have the support stance, which is super fast, so you can get those healing or buff skills off faster. So there's all of those elements going into things. But then there is the sort of saga uh, tradition of... Uh, character progression, which is essentially the harder the enemies that you're fighting, the more likely it is that you're going to learn a new skill. And it comes in the form of this thing called Awakening um, in the Alliance Alive, which is essentially you get a feel for the enemy encounters as you're playing them, depending on how hard they're hitting you or what sorts of skills that they're using. You'll come to sort of intuitively understand when a battle is more challenging for you and there are also some uh, sort of mini boss style enemies that you can fight uh, on the overworld or while you're exploring that are just tougher so there's a higher chance of you being in a sort of threatening scenario and when you use skills against these uh, these enemies that are stronger than you there's an increased chance that you are going to awaken a new ability. And sometimes it's an ability that is completely different from the one that you're trying to utilize. So let's say you might be trying to use an offensive skill, but instead you learn a defensive skill instead. So when an enemy tries to attack you, you go from doing that offensive skill into blocking their attack and then maybe parrying them. Just one one Whoa. example. Um, it's it's complex, but the the neat thing is, this is still something that happens sporadically. So you can rely on the skills that you're using, and once you've learned skills, you can you can return to them very uh, very consistently. But you also do have this chance of learning new things too. But that's not all. <laughs> you can also more. there is definitely more. As you take more damage, you eventually go into a mode called Ignition Mode, and during that sort of phase for your specific uh, party member, they have a higher chance of learning new skills, uh, but they also have the ability to use something called a Final Strike. And a Final Strike is an extremely powerful uh, move that is so strong, it literally breaks the weapon that they're using. Um, and so you've got this element of risk and reward, especially when you have really good gear that you are going to be progressing through a dangerous environment with. So sometimes you don't want to break your weapons, um, or sometimes you just want to stay in ignition, because once you use your final strike, you sort of burn out your ignition mode. Um, but it's a really just neat system. And then on top of all of that, You've got a great guild system, too, where as you explore the world, you can find these spots to build these guilds. And the more guilds that you have open of a certain kind, the stronger their guild abilities are. And so sometimes they'll assist you in battle. Uh, for example, the Blacksmith Guild can fire a giant cannon at enemies that you're encountering just in the world sometimes. Um, but sometimes they're... Uh, they're benefits are a little bit more passive like the explorers guild will grant you more uh, sorts of talent points which is another sort of character customization system that's in the game and there are several levels atop this but there's also this huge variety of gameplay um, and so something that i really love about the game is you 
explore the game world in a variety of different ways. You go from using a hang glider to getting on a boat to then having that boat fly around and you can just drop yourself off on like giant mountains and such uh, to finally riding a sky dragon throughout the sky and uh, having it assist you in battle. There's just such a, a crazy variety in how you're exploring the world and the scenarios that you're encountering too. Sometimes you'll have to defend certain areas and split your huge party of, uh, I think around 13 or 14 characters up into smaller groups, which is really, really neat. Um, Or sometimes you are trying to stealth your way into an enemy camp without engaging uh, in in battles with, with others. And so, just to to button this up again because this does come back to the overrated jrpg that i've played when i think about bravely default in comparison with the alliance alive there's just so much more unique ideas and elements going on in the latter that the the former is it's squandering by by utilizing these quality of life um uh, sorts of improvements or, or you know what what they claim to be improvements when the alliance alive doesn't really allow you to skip battles <laughs> it knows that its battle system is really good and it knows that you want to engage in its battle system because the more battles you engage in the higher chance you have of learning something new that can make your characters even stronger you know what i'm actually just going to leave it at that and will based on what I've just ranted about, what are some of your thoughts? I think it sounds really cool and interesting. I like that you tied it back to your previous quest of an overrated JRPG, which was Bravely Default. And I think that's a really cool distinction to draw that there are some similar things going on or some similar audiences of the two games, I guess. But to see that this one's doing a lot of new and different things and and making it fun and making you want to want to play more rather than less is is a good uh, glowing recommendation i think yeah and so i'm curious to find out more about this game really i i can't i can't recommend this game enough and even just hearing my friend uh, start to play through it for the first time he <laughs> he just sexed me and said like this game is letting me do this or it's you know giving Mm. me the opportunity to do that and it's really exciting and i it it's very affirming for me um, because i feel that this is a hugely underappreciated game and i'm gonna be you know honest i still think that it's one of the better rpgs that's on the nintendo switch right now and it's not the prettiest looking again it was a game that was designed for the 3ds so it had some limitations but it also has some of that stuff you know i know will we talked about the art style of the environments in bravely default and how appealing Mm -hmm. those were the, the Alliance Alive has those two, actually. <laughs> oh, really? Cool. Um, it has this opportunity where, like, if you're in a town and you just stand there, it'll zoom out and show you the entire town. And it's hmm. in this great, you know, watercolor uh, sort of style environment. And the soundtrack is, you know, it's a huge departure from maybe a, a lot of what you might hear in Bravely Default, but it's got this alien sort of majestic quality to it that i think is 
really appealing. And there are some some aspects of the game that I don't think are as strong. I think having you know such a large party of characters um, and wanting to let them all get a, a, a say or a word in during cutscenes limits the amount of characterization they can put into some of their dialogue, which is unfortunate. But at the same time, too, I think one of the coolest things that uh, the Alliance Alive does at the very start of it uh, is that it introduces you to the world with a very specific group of characters, a very small group of characters. And then you get to a certain point, and then you learn about the plot of the game from a completely different race of characters in a completely different place. And you play as those characters for a little little while. And then you get to a point where you learn about the, the game's story from another group of characters. And you actually realize oh hey wait a minute when i was playing as that first group of characters i actually ran into these two people and then Mm -hmm. the entire cast comes together and you've played as these characters separately and you've kind of established their roles within their smaller parties um, separately and when you get to start using them all together it's just such an awesome feeling of empowerment that i think i've never experienced in any other game before very cool so yeah i mean i could i could definitely uh rant and and rave about this game uh, a whole lot more but i am gonna leave it at that because i don't want to stop anyone from playing this game because i think it is such a gem um on 3ds or on switch that sounds amazing i didn't realize it's on switch i'm gonna add that to my wish list right away and uh, I would say this in both a fortunate and unfortunate way, but it was published by Nisa, uh, who has really been doing a lot of the localization heavy work uh, for the Nintendo Switch, at least in the realm of JRPGs. Um, but because it was published by Nisa, it's also subject to frequent uh, discounts. So oh. you can get this game uh, for cheap, um, or at least cheaper than even a 3DS copy was when it originally released on that system, um, which I think should be even more of a reason that people should pick this up. Yes, it should get rated very soonly. <laughs> uh, did I say soonly? You, you did, but that's okay. <laughs> that's not a word. <laughs> uh, but with that being the end of both of our quests, uh, we are going to obviously roll for our new ones. So I've got Let's my dice in front of me, and Will, uh, you're going to be rolling first this time. All right, I've got my dice too. So let's go. Got dicey here. Okay. Uh, so I'm on number twenty-two. Let me give it a roll. Two. I'm going downhill here, uh, which isn't. It's better than the one. I think didn't have one. Yeah, I had one last time. So. That's that's a two hundred percent increase. Yeah, it is. This is true. I think you're going to catch up with me soon, though. But that puts me at 24. An RPG concept you think could be better done, or a mechanic done in RPG that you think could be more broadly applied. Interesting. I'm going to have to put some thought into this one. Yeah, this is actually a really uh, cerebral one, and you can take it in two very mm-hmm. different directions. So Yeah, to put some thought into it. I'm really curious to see what your your answer might be or what maybe game you might use uh, as a mm-hmm. as a great example of this. So I am at yeah. uh, 18 right now and I uh, am probably 
hopefully if I don't roll that critical one, um, I'm probably going to maybe encounter <laughs> another uh, enemy encounter. So uh, let's see how this goes. That's very possible. So I got a four. Okay. And I need to weigh my options here uh, mm-hmm. because I can either stop at 20, uh, which really just makes this a two, which means I don't catch up to you as much. Mm-hmm. Or I could do your quest from this week myself. Hmm. That's a tough one. Hmm. Do you advance or do you go back to the quest that I just did? Huh. Oh, wait, no, those are the same thing. Do you advance and and devance in terms of quest? Or do you go a shorter distance but take on something different? You know what? I'm actually... I think I'm going for 22 because I'm looking ahead on the quest board Mm -hmm. and I really, really want to challenge myself with that number 30 enemy encounter. Okay. So that's something that I am looking forward to and I'm going to have to face uh, eventually um, because I have to do at least one enemy encounter. But Mm -hmm. I'm also... I think I'm very excited to try your quest uh, from a very different angle. So I won't be talking about Ooh, East. I'm excited to see that. Okay. East 9, no. <laughs> no, I won't be talking Completely about East different. 9 either. <laughs> okay. Um, cool. Well, that means, yeah, you'll be locked in for that next enemy encounter then. That's right. Yeah, which means I can kind of start thinking about what I'm going to do with that. Uh, mm-hmm even now, so that should be... Gives you an advantage. That should be pretty fun. Um, I kind of already have an idea of what I'm going to uh, do for that, but it might change. Interesting. Okay, I'll be curious to see it. All right, but with all of that out of the way, I think that's going to wrap up our episode for this week. So uh, at this point, we'd just like to plug uh, a number of different channels uh, on which you can interact with us. So first things first, if you ever have any comments uh, or just notes that you want to talk about, whether it's about a quest that we've already covered on the show, or maybe it's your own Uh, personal quests that you've been following along with on the quest board that was shared with us, uh, you can shoot us an email at uh, rpgpodquest at gmail.com. Again, we'd love to hear from anyone who is enjoying the show, uh, who has been listening to some of our hot takes, um, or maybe even if you have something that you heard on the show that you have a problem with. We'd love to hear uh, in any respect what you have to say about what we've been talking about. Um, And you can also, of course, hit us up at rpg podcast on twitter as well you can hear us on a whole bunch of different platforms we are hosted on anchor which means we're on spotify but we're also on apple and google as well uh, if you want to listen to this podcast uh, will where can they find you on twitter you can find me on twitter at cosmic x library all one word Excellent. And I would also be remiss to uh, not mention another place where they can find you, Will. Um, So you've previously mentioned that you have streamed some games. So I wanted to make sure that that is plugged and put out there as well. Where can they find you on Twitch? Yes, you can find me on Twitch at Cosmic Library as well. Awesome. So there's no X in there, right? 
No X. All right. Very good. Um, Just words. <laughs> I've previously uh, watched one of Will's streams. We actually chatted a whole lot on that one, um, which is not something that we do all that much during the week. This is really our time to have conversations when mm-hmm. we're uh, recording on podcasts. But uh, it's really enjoyable. And Will, he's always playing uh, really neat stuff that I don't really have a whole lot of experience with. So it's definitely uh, worth checking out. And of course, you can also find me on Twitter at RPGS and then E-B, R-P-G-S-E-B. Um, so with that all out of the way, I think we are ready to go onward and towards our next quest. Onward we go. All right. See you around, everybody.